his little face. Uh, oh, don't see, encourage now, him. Now he looks like he's a demon. Well, he, he yeah, is. He is. He's possessed. <laughs> his eyes are glowing. Bentley. Glowing in the dark. It's Bentley. <laughs> Yeah, anyone who's listening to this knows it's Bentley. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be fair, it could have been me that she was talking about. (laughs) Or me, because I'm a cat. She said, he's so cute, and he looks like a demon. (laughs) You're both sort of in the dark. You're both in the dark, so. (laughs) We are at Adam's house today. (laughs) Yeah, well, in case anyone didn't know we were at Adam's house, now they know. (laughs) Now they know, yeah. This is Roxanna Bell, everybody. Welcome. Say hi to Roxana, listeners. Pause for listeners. Hi. (laughs) Roxana, tell us your Harry Potter origin story. Well, so I was a fifth grader in 2001 when the first Harry Potter movie came out. I was just so excited about it. I I didn't really read the books before the movie. I was sort of little. And so I just remember going to the movie, being very excited about it. And it was so magical. I loved it. I saw it twice. And then my mom decided, well, I'll read the books to you. And I think at that point, it was only like maybe one, two, three, or four had come out. And so there were still more to come. And so that year, we started reading Harry Potter 1. And I, I feel a certain affinity to it because Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and everybody in the movie is basically my age. So it felt like what they were going through on screen, I was also going through. And then in sixth grade, when the second movie came out, I had, <laughs> so embarrassing, I had Daniel Radcliffe everywhere in my room, obsessed. And I had all of, my dad worked for Scholastic at that time, so I had every, oh my God. like, like movie poster and like I had this little rip off calendar every single day was a picture of like Harry Potter or like something from the movie it was a mess oh my god I was obsessed I love that story it's very ironic because so similar to Tara's because when she was younger she had pictures of Alan Rickman all over her childhood bedroom <laughs> because she was just so in love with Severus Snape so <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the, the joke there Roxana is that Tara fucking hates Snape <laughs> This is news to anyone. Aww. <laughs> and Roxana, what is your Hogwarts house? I am a Ravenclaw. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we had a conversation. We of... have an important question for you, Ravenclaw. Yes. Oh. Our last special guest, Stephen Ostrich, is also a Ravenclaw. But we were talking a few episodes ago about how in this series, up to this point, a lot of the Ravenclaws suck. What's your excuse? <laughs> I, you know, I think it's because they're so book smart that then they just hold that over everybody who's not book smart. So they just very like, well. Uh, Stephen <laughs> Ostrich had a suck. very similar answer, yeah. actually. I mean, people could say, what's your excuse to slither? And I'm like, we really are fucking at Orion. <laughs> It was, what, the second book where we were really realizing, why are Ravenclaws not very nice? Penelope Clearwater, Gilderoy Lockhart, Quirrell was a Ravenclaw. Yeah, all of our Ravenclaw friends are cool. And, like, this book, we do have a lot more Cho Chang. Uh-huh. We have more Mooney Myrtle, who I consider to be an amazing Ravenclaw. She's present right now in these chapters. And then there's also my... Absolute Quen, Sybil Trelawney. Also, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we, but we, I we, think we... it's just the lording the smarts over everybody. That it's just sense. so funny because that Hermione isn't a Ravenclaw because she's so smart. We've discussed a lot about how the trio seem to replicate the other three houses a lot. But throughout this series, how it really like cements that they are Gryffindors because of some really brave and courageous moments that they have. What are you doing? Are you playing with your singing monsters? That's true. What are you doing, Tara? Look, look at her. <laughs> what is that? It's her fucking game. She's literally playing a game right now. She's like, I can't even be bothered. I can't be bothered with this Tara's fucking podcast. She's not interested in participating. This She's is what like, she does. God. She gets bored, and then she'll take... I'm not, I'm not actually bored. I actually not really paying attention to the game. I'm collecting money from my monsters. It's, she plays this game where she takes pictures of my cats. That's what she does. <laughs> Let's get into this. Who did things in the last chapter? The winner of chapter 25. It's so hard to do this, but we have to. Moody, who was actually Barty Crouch Jr., and I don't think I need to explain that. You don't need to. The Um, runner-up winner, I feel like, is Myrtle, but I understand. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if there's a secondary winner in the chapter, it's, it's definitely Myrtle. The loser of the chapter, just because nothing about what he says or does or anything makes sense, is Snape. Also because it's her I childhood it. crush, and she can't help. It, it makes her very sad, but she has to make Snape lose another chapter. I hate him. We talked a lot about, in the last episode, just about how out of character he kind of seemed in some points. And also, Snape, he sucks. Drinking game, Roxana. Every time oh Tara says, fuck that guy or Snape sucks. <laughs> Although he's not really present in this chapter, so fortunately you might live. This is the first time we've never played this drinking game before because, well, we don't want to die. Well, <laughs> depending on the day. Yeah, that's true. Usually we don't want to die while we're recording the podcast. It's usually a good time. That would be hell of an episode, though. <laughs> Who would edit and publish it, though? That's the question. Nobody, because we'd all be dead. <laughs> so I have a thing that Roxana sent me. She did. She wrote a chapter summary for us, so I'm going to read it. I've not looked at it at all. Oh, boy. Here we go. Chapter 26. The second task. After being saved from Snape's wrath the previous night by Professor Moody, Harry recounts the events of the last evening to Hermione and Ron during Charms class. Professor Flitwick flies across the room, and it seems to be utter mayhem as students attempt the banishing charm. Harry, Ron, and Hermione all have different theories on why Crouch was searching through Snape's office, and they speculate on Dumbledore's reasons for giving Snape a second chance at Hogwarts. After class, Harry sends a letter to Sirius recounting what he had witnessed the night before. Deeply concerned that the second task is only a few weeks away, Harry, Ron, and Hermione direct most of their attention to figuring out how Harry can survive underwater for an hour without dying. 48 hours to go before the second task begins, Harry still has no idea how he is going to survive. Sirius sends Harry a cryptic note to have Harry send him the date he will next be in Hogsmeade. Harry responds back and wishes he had asked Sirius' advice on how to complete the next challenge. Harry, Ron, and Hermione go to Hagrid's class, where Hagrid seems utterly confident that Harry will win the next task. The rest of the class plays with baby unicorns while Harry sinks into a spiral of panic and despair. With hours to go before the next task, Harry does what any procrastinating student does. He crams all night in the library looking for anything that can help him with the challenge. Halfway through going through any book he can find, Fred and George come to take Ron and Hermione to Professor McGonagall's office, and Harry is left alone for the rest of the night. Harry, utterly terrified and exhausted, falls asleep on a stack of books and is awoken by Dobby, who informs him that the second task will be starting in 10 minutes. Harry doom spirals and imagines going to the lake and not being able to complete the task at all and being a failure. I feel you, Harry. Me too. Dobby wants to make sure Harry gets his wheezy back, and he gives Harry gillyweed, which he says will allow Harry to breathe underwater. Harry runs as fast as he can down to the lake, and he begins the second task with the other champions. Harry swallows the gillyweed, wades into the lake, and feels the sides of his neck turn into the gills. He dives into the water and sees that his hands and feet are webbed and he can easily glide through ice-cold water. Harry makes his way down into the depths of the lake. As he swims toward the Merpeople's underwater kingdom, he is attacked by Grindylows, aka water demons. He fights them off and just as he does this, Moaning Myrtle appears and asks, How he's doing? Like, okay, what? What's up, dude? Quen Myrtle, I'm telling you. (laughs) She points him in the direction of the merpeople. At last, he reaches the merpeople's kingdom. They are not beautiful mermaids at all, but grayish beings with yellow eyes, gnarly teeth, and spears. Harry arrives at the center of the village and sees Ron... (laughs) Harry arrives at the center of the village and sees Ron, Hermione, Cho, and Fleur's little sister bound to the stone statues as merpeople encircle them and sing their eerie songs. Because Harry is the only champion at the merpeople's village, he gets concerned that all the hostages will be lost if no one comes to get them. Just then, Cedric comes to retrieve Cho, and Harry sees he has a bubble around his head, which is allowing him to survive underwater. Cedric retrieves Cho and swims back to the surface. Crumb arrives next, and Harry sees that he has transformed his head into the head of a shark. He retrieves Hermione from the merpeople and swims back to the surface. Harry is now deeply concerned because he does not see Fleur coming to take her little sister back up to the surface, and time is getting short. Against the protests of the merpeople, Harry cuts both Ron and Fleur's little sister free, and he takes them both to the surface to finish the challenge. Despite finishing last because Harry wanted to make sure all the hostages were freed from the merpeople, he receives high marks for moral fiber and scores 45 points. Flora is so grateful that Harry saved her little sister that she gives Ron and Harry each a kiss on the cheek, and that stuns them both silly. Harry is so grateful to Dobby that he decides he will buy him socks for every day of the year. Which is honestly the best part. Well done! That's that's really good. Yes, girl. For the record, Tara's nickname in college was Moral Fiber because she pooped a lot. (laughs) 
And also for the record, while I may be like a mer people, because I also carry a spear and have yellow <laughs> eyes, my teeth are immaculate. Are. Your teeth are beautiful. Can... Thank you. That being that. said, that was not my nickname in college. Your nickname was the Nobby Bush, the potato bitch, oh. potato salad, potato pancake, potato gnocchi. Are you just going to list are all the Italian? things? <laughs> no, I'm not Italian. You're going to list every potato thing you've Potato chip. <laughs> you have a potato chip on your shoulder. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, wait, I actually do. Crunch. <laughs> Yum. Oh, oh, someone's Alexis Rose now? <laughs> Yum. Yum. <laughs> I can't Alexis Rose. I'm really bad at that one. Ew, David. That was much better than mm, Eat glass. Uh, I have fold in the cheese in the corner over here on my pegboard that Terry gave me for my birthday. <sighs> so this chapter, the second It's chapter, long. It is a long, long one, for real. Chapter. I can't believe that with this reading, we covered a lot of ground. Or rather, a lot of water. There's a lot of water happening in these two chapters. Yep, he's taking a bath. He's swimming in lakes. He's spending a lot of time naked, just like we usually do. With Moon and Myrtle creeping. She's a creeper. She's a creeper. She's very confident for a dead person. She she probably didn't get a lot of peeing in her real life, so now she's a ghost. She's like, I'm going to see. She was like 14 when she died, so, you know. Yeah, now she's like, I would be like 60 now, so I'm going to look at okay, as many human dicks as I can. You gotta, so weird. You gotta give her some credit there. Okay, so the chapter starts. Harry tells those bitches what's up. Well, first Hermione does the... Hermione's like, I thought you had this egg under control. What the fuck, dude? And he's like, calm the fuck down. Snape's an asshole. And she's like, I've been new. Why your egg ain't fit? Bitch. Those are, that's an exact quote. The thing that they immediately jump to conclusions about is Snape being the questionable one instead of Crouch, who is the one who was in his office. That's the strange thing that they saw on the map, not that it was in Snape's office per se. So I think that's a little bit strange, but Snape is at their forefront right. because... Well, and Harry also learned that night that not only was Crouch searching Snape's office, but Moody has also searched his office. That's kind of suspicious. Like, why is everyone on a fucking search's office? What What's up, Snape? They do make a sort of a foreshadowing point, I think, because I think it's Hermione, like, almost comes to Snape's defense. She's like, but, like, we know that he wasn't trying to kill you, like, last time. And so there may be a reason why he's still here. And I was like, ooh, foreshadow. That's yeah. true. <laughs> We talked a little bit about that, too, in the last episode in terms of how weird the last chapter ends. Kind of knowing that Snape isn't trying to actually kill Harry, but he's being a dick. He tells all of this very important information to Moody, who is actually helping him out a lot. You know, he's come after Malfoy, and now he's come after Snape in a very forward way and saying, like, wow, first thing that comes out of your mind is it must have been Harry Potter. Obsessed much? Yeah. I bet um, Snape also had pictures of Harry Potter all around his childhood bedroom, Roxana. He probably did. I think that it's important to keep Snape in the forefront anyway throughout this whole series because, yeah, the first book, it's like, oh, actually, he was trying to save Harry. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a good guy. Mm. Everyone else seems to be like, yeah, but actually, Snape tried to save your life, Harry. He was a good guy. And Harry will not let that go, which is fair. I think it's very fair. You know? That yeah. he's actually not 100% like, yeah, um, it's some trust state now. I trust that guy totally now. Like, he, he's never going to be like that. Totally. We know eventually Snape's story, but I think the fact that he's continually just mean and nasty is also part of the reason why Harry is like, right. well, <laughs> I don't trust this dude. Because he's just so off-putting and, and he doesn't have to be that way. And he, He's an adult. He chooses to be a dick. <laughs> you know? That is so similar to what we said previously. Because that is a fact. The moment that happens in this book where I even had said, like, there's no coming back from this, is the moment in Potions where there's a little duel and one of the goonies of Draco gets hit and then Hermione gets hit and her teeth start growing. The way that Snape handles <gasps> that is just so... Is the worst. Unforgivable. I know. That's why he's choosing. Yeah. He's choosing to be a negative person. He's a dick. But anyway, yeah, so they talk about that. Drink. Drink, Rexana. Oh, yeah. Me too. I'm a drink too. I did this with the sheer goal of getting myself drunk. You know what I was about to say? I was about to say, Tara's like, I'm a dick, I'm a dick, I'm a dick. Is that what you do at home when you're like, I had a tough day. I need to get drunk. You're like, time to play the Snape's a dick. 
Yeah, all I have to do was look at one of the books. Snape's a dick. I'm gonna drink that. Snape's a dick and Dumbledore withholds information. That's it. That's the series. That's it. That's all of Harry Potter. You don't need to know any more. Well, I think we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> we finished the podcast. And guys, it's been a great run with basic snitches. Yeah. <laughs> they go to class and they're a unicorn. The baby unicorns. Oh. I love that Hagrid's like disappointed that they're not like nasty creatures. That's like my favorite. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. He's just like, this is boring. I know, but the kids love the baby. Like, I was like, okay. It's like puppies. You're just like, oh, I, I like that. It's also a very welcome change from those fucking lobster bitches. No one misses lobster bitches. But I do appreciate Hagrid at least adhering to the curriculum and maybe even a little bit of the rude awakening from like Dumbledore, even bringing him in and being like, maybe you need to like calm shit down. Yeah. Maybe we need to move on to the next creature, so on and so forth. So I do appreciate that about Hagrid. And hey, Hagrid is back. We like that part. We do like Professor Grubbly Plank. We feel like she's pretty fucking solid, but she's no Hagrid. So we have that class in which Hagrid is like, Harry, you're going to fucking win. And Harry's like, oh, shit. Yeah, Harry's like, sure, Jan. <laughs> I ain't got no plans. And then they go to Fluid's class. Alongside a lot of this, there's all the conversation about, like, how we can make things happen. You know, Ron has the idea of using Akio again to get, uh, I'm assuming, like, a snorkel. Yeah, an Aqualung sounds like that. Yeah, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Aqualung was a band from the 90s, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe author. Was a really big Aqualung fan. Right. They talk about that. I just love how Hermione's like, uh, people gonna notice that. The other thing that they bring up, too, is partial transfiguration. Which is interesting because what Crumb ends up using has been mentioned or recommended two times now. Sirius recommends what Crumb ends up doing with the dragon and kind of like hypnotizing him. Mm-hmm. And then here, I think it was Hermione recommends like the partial transfiguration yeah. or the human transfiguration and not being like a strong enough thing or something that they don't know yet. Well, yeah, and that's what they're Crumb like, does. Oh, we don't start that till sixth year. I think it's interesting that like they're mentioning these things that Crumb ends up doing. I don't think it's of any real significance. I wish it kind of was. There's definitely at least like some similar thoughts in between all of the champions. I mean, as we learn here in the depth to what their research is, clearly there's not a lot of options that they could take with this. Harry's also the youngest one, so he hasn't had the opportunity like crumb even though transformation is not great he sort of would have had that training you know that yeah, they don't he's have still successful it's not even about harry being young as far as his capabilities it's that they literally have not studied that kind of right. magic at all exactly there's no yeah. frame of reference for him it's not like they can have this conversation her and he can be like well professor mcgonagall mentioned for like 16 seconds during our second year of Transfiguration about this. They're constantly researching, trying to figure out the solution to what the egg clue was. I think at one point the author says, he should have started the egg clues earlier. Maybe it was like Harry's subconscious. And at that point, I literally wrote down, no shit! Hermione <laughs> kept on reminding him. Everyone was reminding him. Hagrid reminded him. Ludo Bagman even reminded him. But I was even just thinking, a couple chapters ago, where they went to Hogsmeade, was not even there. That would have been prime time for him to use this. And I'm always trying to think of like, okay, how th- could things have been maybe restructured in favor of Harry? What is the purpose of that actual chapter? And I think really it's like the Hagrid storyline at the very least, and then also bringing up some of the things in the background that are still brewing. The things about, what's the deal with Crouch? Oh, Crouch is sick. He's being followed by goblins. Oh, also, guess what? Rita Skeeter's a bitch! All of those things are still important, but that would have been just a perfect time for him to start jumping on this. But he's also Harry, a uh, master procrastinator. I mean, Harry's all of us. That's me. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm also that. a master procrastinator. All of us except for me, baby. Oh, except for Adam. I hate to procrastinate. I really do. We know. The other important thing there is that Cedric hadn't given him the clue at that point. Harry would just be playing with his egg, like all of us. Also amid all of this, there is a letter from Sirius. That's just like... Hey, bitch, meet me in Hogsmeade. And I feel like Harry is really disappointed. Like, uh, could give some advice here. Pause. <laughs> did you hear that, listeners? I did hear that. If Roxana heard it, the listeners heard it too, baby. Out of the blue, I think because he's overwhelmed, is just like, 
oh, this is when the next Hogsmeade thing is. He sends it off and he's like, oh man, I could have included all this other stuff in that letter too. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Maybe we'll see Sirius again, as in, in the next chapter, because the next image of the next chapter is literally like, oh, guess what? Sirius is back, bitch. To give Harry yet another coronary. It's about Harry not <laughs> Harry getting Harry Potter and the stress. Sarah in the library. So, yes. Harry was procrastinating in the library. <laughs> so, Harry in the library procrastinating. There with the procrastination. <laughs> so, then Fred comes in and he's like, you two bitches, come with me. And they're like, what? They're like, yep, we're going to go drown you now. So, Harry's right. left alone. And Harry's just like, are they in trouble for helping me? What the hell? Yeah. Aw. <laughs> yeah. And then, this is where me, purveyor of the movie, is like, oh, Neville's about to come and save the day. Nope. No. <laughs> nope. That's how it goes. So Harry, Harry like, falls, falls asleep. asleep. Mm-hmm. He studied so hard. Yes. Well. <laughs> Although in the middle of this, Crookshanks comes on his lap. Yeah. He doesn't come on his lap. That would be disgusting. <laughs> he jumps on his lap. God. <laughs> and at first <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, Crookshanks so cute. And then all Harry does is stand up and Crookshanks has a tantrum. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. <laughs> Brookshanks, don't be such a bitch. He's a cat. That's what all the cats do. No, they I don't. I know. It was a Mine very does. cat thing to do. My cat is like, the fuck are you like, doing? I was like, wow, Crookshanks is rude. But I don't know. Maybe my cats are just polite. One of them is not. But... I have raised them correctly. Bentley is still a teenager. After that moment, this is where the chapter becomes a little bit like chaotic for me. Because I'm like, time is a ticking. You can almost hear that. Nuts. After the Coach Shanks moment, he's like, I need to go back to the library. He ventures out again in his invisibility cloak to look at even mm-hmm. more books. Whoa, this stresses me out. Yeah. Almost. And he's having, like, these moments where he's, like, Malfoy's gonna make fun of me. People are gonna make fun of me. People are gonna treat me like shit over this. Like, he is... He's not focusing. He is not able to focus. He is a mess. And Hermione and Ron are, where the fuck are they? It's a lot. He's doom spiraling. <laughs> he, it's totally... perfect wording. Yeah. Doom spiraling. There is a clear shift in the text, too, where you can tell, like, it went from him, like, consciously thinking about this to, oh, now he fell asleep. Like, you can actually tell. And then, boom, he wakes up, and it's Dobby. Dobby is there. Dobby's like, hello, bitch. (laughs) Come back. He's like, "Uh, you got things to do. Let's Wake up, bitch. I got some weed for you. I got some weed for you. (laughs) Start token on this, and you'll turn into a mermaid. Gotta go. Got the kitchens are calling. the fact that he like runs down to the lake and the way that this series has made this campus out to be gigantic i'm like it's like how is he not dead exhausted well he is but the whole time he's running fucking swim he is sprinting down to that thing and it's like chariots of fire is playing and it's like slow motion (laughs) the movie missed out on that Okay. <laughs> so many missed opportunities in this movie. His legs are like jelly, and his heart is pounding by the time he gets down there. Percy Weasley has the gall to be like, where have you been? Excuse me, you are not your mother. Just sit the fuck down. Percy. <laughs> like, and then he's just like, really? I just went through all that, and now there's Percy here. Yeah. This is some shit. Even Bagman is like, Percy, like, calm are it. not happy to see him either. No, no, no one wants to see Percy. No one wants to see Percy. Harry. They're all like, what the fuck? Yeah. Right? And yeah. Maxine oh, yeah. and Karkarov are just like, ugh. I feel like Maxine and Karkarov are like college students who are like, it's uh, 9.15, my professor isn't here yet. I can leave now, right? Yeah. Seriously. And they're like, God damn it, it's like 9.14 and there she comes. You're like, no! So then that bell whistles, the three other bitches, I was going to say fall into the lake. <laughs> they just fall into the lake. Uh-huh. They dive into the lake Meanwhile, Harry over here is Virginia wolfing it up, walking into the lake to his death. (laughs) It's very dramatic. That's what he should have done if he didn't get the gillyweed. He's like, well, time to die. (laughs) Just... God. Walks into the lake. And if Harry has not had those thoughts at least 15 times in the last four years. <laughs> Seriously. And that's what he, he does. He had those thoughts like in poor the last child. two hours when he was freaking out. <laughs> poor, poor child. But like even when you think of times of like when he goes to fight Quirrell or the Basilisk, he like walks into it. So it's very Virginia Woolf. Harry Potter is Virginia Woolf. It is canon. <laughs> Except he doesn't die. He's, he's chewing on his weed. I'm like, honey, that's not how it works. You gotta like pack it in there and like Light hit that up. blunt yeah but then he grows gills i love the way that the gills are described like about how it's like a pillow coming on his face but then he has to have like take a swallow of the water yeah that is really brilliant to me i love that description well 
it's an important description, I think, just to show, like, well, that worked. Now you got to fucking go underwater. Hey, this is how gills work in comparison to, like, somebody who's used to breathing above water, I guess. Like, the transition is, like, so seamless and kind of fascinating. And then he got a lot of demons to fight. I actually really love that the Grangulos are there because... Remember, we learned about them in the third book. Mm-hmm. Lupin taught us about Grindelos. He had one in, a, in his office. And Harry's like, no, not today. <laughs> not today, bitches. He Arya Starks all over those fucking Grindelos. And then he runs into Myrtle. I do not understand your references. What, my Game of Thrones? I'm not a Game of Thrones bitch. Too bloody. Yeah, I haven't watched it either. I think you'd like it. <laughs> Too bloody. Like Rock said, Myrtle comes up, and I'm like, wow, Myrtle can... Going to the water as a ghost. I know. She just like rolls up and is like, hey. She whispers in his ear, hey, it's me. Show me your dick. And then he does. Oh, and she's God. like, oh, it's over there. Thank yeah, you. And she's like, like smacks going, him on the butt. Keep going that way. You'll find him. She just like rolls up. It's like so funny. Imagine if that happened in the movie. That would be hilarious. She said shit on that movie. Seriously speaking of everything that should have happened in the movie. The rest of this book. Yes. <laughs> He continues on, and then he comes across an underwater settlement. Kingdom. And when I read this originally, and we'll get more into this in the movie, because I think I changed my tune once we watched the movie, I was like, what the fuck? There's a whole village? Why didn't we get to see that? And it turns out that we kind of do. <laughs> but <laughs> And I love that. The fact that it is very all-encompassing. There's a giant statue in the middle, and then everybody is kind of chained to it by these, like, seaweed vines. There's one fucking merperson with a Grindylo as a pet. What are they supposed to have as pets, I suppose? Demon cats. <laughs> do they live underwater? Uh, they probably could. My cats are... Superhuman. They're super cat. Super, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> then he sees everyone just uh, hanging out there. Unconscious. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's super creepy, eh? It's creepy. They're not hanging there. They're bobbing. <clears throat> they're, they're bobbing yeah, and bobbing like a fucking like, bobblehead. I think it's interesting that they don't make it difficult for him to get to his friends. Because he expects it, and I kind of expect it. So, But maybe that's just because it was a, like a huge trial to even get under the water and like find it and so they were like okay we'll make it easier because they already did all this stuff to like get down there at this point we're realizing that the mermaids are not necessarily bad the situation makes it feel like the mer people are antagonists in this whole thing and they're not they're being helpful in creating the task and young that they won't give harry their spears to help him cut people loose but they're not hurting him i think you're both right like roxana said there were a lot of steps to this one and tara you actually said something about this a few episodes ago where each of these tasks is designed to challenge the champions in a different way so like the first one is really thinking on your feet Whereas this one, you're given a clue, but you have to first unlock the clue. You have to decipher what it means. Once you decipher what it means, you have to figure out, without knowing what is going to be taken from you. Mm -hmm. You have to just figure out, okay, this time I'm going to breathe underwater for an hour. They have all these challenges that they have to get through underwater, whether it's Grindelos, the merpeople, any other sea creature, the me. I did not make an appearance, even though they are swimming around my house. I feel like you're like, I ain't dealing with this shit. Uh, you clearly share that house with mermaids. They, they have, no, 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 they no. They have a kingdom. They share that house with me. And you were like, I ain't dealing with this shit. I'm going to go over here. I was like, I will allow this, but you better not get up in my bullshit. And if you do, you better bring me gin. We've already established. Giant squid drinks gin. Okay? So, I'm like Adam, who drinks... Everything. Unlike Adam, who also drinks gin. Yes, exactly. Nothing like Adam at all, except everything like Adam. Adam will drink all the things. Giant Squid is like gin only. Exactly like Adam. He only drinks gin. He has one giant eye. He has eight hands. He's very slimy. Oh my god. He is giant. The giant squid. Period. Then like the challenge of uh, how are they going to like free their person. Mm -hmm. Things that also cause them to kind of think quickly and on their feet. Right, because he realizes he can't use his wand. Even though he does use it to kind of threaten the more people to like fucking leave him alone while he's trying to free more than Ron. So he just finds the rock, cuts Ron free. And then he's like, uh, no one's here. And Cedric comes. And Cedric's like, I got show, bye. <laughs> Cedric yeah. is like... I know. He's like, I came prepared. I brought a knife. I'm 
I'm sure that he didn't come to the conclusion that Cho would be taken from him either. I think that Cedric just in general was like, a knife might be a good plan. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Then Victor comes along finally as a very ugly shark man. I'm glad that Harry is still there to be like, oh, please don't rip Hermione in half. Please use this rock. Take this rock shark man and chop this up. As Hermione floats up, Hermione comes back to life for a brief minute and she's like, oh wow, the French person didn't show up to fight. What a shock because Hermione hates French people as we've learned from this book. <laughs> she's not terribly kind to the French people. No, she is no. not. I mean, in this case, she's kind of... Right? I mean, not really, because... Floor got detained by the Gradillos. Thank you. Yeah, so Harry's still there. Yeah, he's waiting. He's like, French bitch, where the fuck you at? So then he frees Gabrielle anyway, and he's like, more people, get the fuck out of my way. I got this taken care of. And he takes them both. And Harry's like, oh my god, I got no gills no more. Yeah, Harry basically <laughs> almost drowns, saving them, but he survives because the series is about him. Because timing. They get back on shore. This is the part of the chapter that I get really frustrated with. Ron starts it. They're fucking in the water. And Ron's like... They're fucking, they're fucking in, the water? in the water? I missed that part. No, but they're in the water still. And Ron's like trying to call him out for being heroic. <laughs> Why'd you bring this bitch? He's calling him out for being a good person. The hero moments are Harry's downfall in the next book. Here in this moment, think about the last 24 hours Harry had. He's like, I gotta fucking figure this out. Falling asleep in the library. My friends are not with me. I don't know what's going on. Woken up to run down to do this task. He has had literally no time to comprehend anything. He gets woken up by Dobby being like, yeah, Ron has been kidnapped by these mer people. So Harry doesn't even have time to come to the conclusion that this is not a serious thing. And Fleur, or I'm sorry, not Fleur, because I think Fleur is in the same mindset of Harry. Crom and Cedric are both like, got this, get now. They're getting it, but they woke up that morning, they realized that those people are not around, and they went to go save them. But they've had time to kind of, like, think about it and come to the conclusion. And he'd been procrastinating. He's been procrastinating, and his brain is not there. (laughs) Like, his mind is not in that place. It's been get up and go and crazy shit. Why wouldn't he think that his friends are in danger? He literally was like, but this little girl is here. Not only did Harry and Fleur think this, but Percy thought it too. Percy is a mess. Ron even is just like, I wasn't going to (laughs) die. Ron does not often have the best grip on reality. Let's say it that way, shall we? Originally, before we got to the point where they were like, ah, they weren't going to let us die. I was like, really? I thought they said that no one was going to die from this. I'm not completely certain that there was a plan in place if they didn't get saved for them to survive. I think that's up for consideration because you could very well say like, there's no way they would have let these people die. I think that that was the goal. They don't plan on that. But, you know, they didn't plan on deaths happening previously either. Or in the they future. They do on, you know, <laughs> right. death that happens right. in the future. And then Hermione also starts in on it. And then Harry's just like, yeah, you know, feeling really stupid about the whole thing. And I'm I like, know. And, he, and he's not acting the hero. That's not actually what he does. He's like, this is what feels right. I'm doing it. Yeah. Like, that's what makes him a Gryffindor. Not this whole, like, I need to show off and do it. Sometimes he's aware right. of the fact that that makes him look like he's doing this for attention. He's also like 100% committed to that idea that this is what needs to happen. It sounds right. like it's creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's creepy as fuck in the movie. It, another thought, based on who they chose, and considering that this happens like right, not right after, but fairly after, especially in the book, if you're reading mm-hmm. it straight through, it really is like Yule Ball, second task. For the most part, Everyone who was the person's date gets chosen. Cho gets chosen. Oh, Hermione. Yeah. Let's be honest, Ron was Harry's date. Well, um, <laughs> and then the little sister was like, why didn't they choose Roger Davies? Or how did they go about choosing these people? So I have some comments on that, but I'm also really interested to ask Roxana her yes. feelings on this. She's a person who has studied psychology and things like that. And I think that there's some things here. So I want to say this really quick, and then I want to see what Roxana Santa has to say. Dobby says at the beginning of the chapter, it's the thing that Harry Potter will miss the most, which I think is 100% true. As much as he and Hermione are best friends, he's very focused on his friendship with Ron. And here's the thing, 
His friendship with Ron is more work than his friendship mm-hmm. with Hermione. And it's been in the rocks, too. Yeah, it's which been in the I rocks. Is and why. for a 14-year-old boy, like, being aware of that is different. At the end of the day, I will always ship that the Harry-Hermione friendship is the strongest friendship. That being said, we're in fourth year and Harry has gone through this rocky moment with Ron. Ron was his real introduction into the wizarding world. Ron is, is the person who... It has indoctrinated him into all of this stuff. Harry having Ron as the thing he missed the most is super important. I think that you bringing up the, the Yule Ball dates with Cedric and Cho is that, like, Cedric is in his final year at Hogwarts. He's thinking about his girlfriend. And that makes sense. Fleur clearly has no connection with Roger Davies. Fleur is in her final year at mm. Bobaton, and her sister is clearly very important to her. I think that's lovely, and it's a great insight to who she is because we don't get that in this book. Right. I want to talk about Crumb. I think it's so sad that Hermione is the person yeah, that means the most I to think him. I agree. Because look at his life as being this international, important Quidditch player. Right. And here is a person who saw him as not a Quidditch player, just a person she enjoyed being around because he was interested in her, not her interested in him. And that connection, and this is why I get so frustrated with Ron and how he treats Crumb, is that, holy shit, Crumb doesn't have anyone. If the girl right. he took to Yule Ball from a different school who's 14 when he is 17, <laughs> it is so sad that that is the person that he would miss the most. This makes me want to ship, like, Crumb <laughs> and Hermione. Like, fuck I you, Ron. You don't deserve Hermione. I, just, I mean, that's fact. But, I mean, he's an international British player. He's trying to be a kid. Still, he's trying to, to do what he needs to do as a student. He's trying to also win Quidditch World Cups, but his team's not as good as Ireland. Whatever. Like, I'm so sad by that. And I'm like, I never realized it before. Yeah, in terms of, like, Harry and Ron, this was really interesting. You gave me some things that I hadn't thought about before. So, unprocessed thoughts. Here we go. For Harry, who has no siblings and, you know, no family necessarily, I think Ron is like a brother. So I think that makes sense that that would be the person that he would miss the most. I had never thought about Crumb in that way, but I think you're totally right. He's alone and he doesn't have anybody and he's isolated. I think people who become famous live in a sense of isolation because they don't know who actually sees them for who they are as opposed to who sees them for their power or the things that they can have access to. And so you're right about Hermione sort of seeing through that and sort of being curious. Also, she's pretty innocent too, if you think about, again, her the age difference she doesn't have any of those preconceived notions that maybe an older girl might have. In general, I always think of Harry Potter, this is sort of from my mom, but I think of Harry Potter as sort of a story about family and how you gain family and how you, as Harry who went through a big trauma, he just wants to be loved and he wants people around him who see him for who he is. So in a certain way, he's also like Crumb, <laughs> if you think about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's also isolated also famous he's very lucky that he finds these two people ron and hermione who become his family and become the people that he relies on and that eventually become his family (laughs) what both of you said brought so much up first of all i agree with rox like what you said about crumb is such an insightful thing to his character in this read through too i have felt a lot more like empathy towards crumb than I have in the past. In terms of Fleur and Gabrielle, we have talked a lot, Roxanne, in the past about how Fleur is kind of portrayed as a bitch. Total mean girl. Yeah. (laughs) In this instance, I think it's great that she's like, excuse me, no, chicks before dicks. I'm going to choose my sister. (laughs) Right. Not that she's going to choose it, but that she cares more about her little sister. That's who is chosen to be the person that she has to find. And even, like, her reaction at the end is really nice. And what I'm thinking about that is, because we had said a little earlier in this conversation about how she seemed to have taken this threat seriously, like Harry. Yeah. Her little sister is a helpless little girl in her mind. She has to protect her. And, again, this is giving us a beautiful insight to who Fleur really is, because Fleur is badass as fuck in the sixth and seventh books. We don't really get that yet. And we've just seen her kind of not be able to keep up with what's going on here. And that is an unfortunate choice on the author's part, I think. That being said, this here is so important. The other thing is, like, 
I think she's also just like, what if my sister wakes up down there and, and it's in this creepy-ass place and she's underwater, she understands what's going on. She's this little child. Oh my god, that would be a fever dream. I am 10,000% in Fleur's court and I have so many feelings about how dirty the movie has done. Yeah. Her and Hermione in this movie yeah. regarding her. Again, it's almost like the woman is perceived as, like, weak, but when you really look into it, it's like, it shows a lot more strength to Fleur than we've seen previously. Uh, Speaking of Fleur being done dirty, so... The one that I think I struggle with the most is Cedric, because we know Cedric... Yes, because we don't necessarily know if Cho and Cedric are quote-unquote dating or anything. I almost feel like... We know Cedric is a man of substance. He's a gentleman. It would have been nice to see someone else down there that is like a good friend or something along the lines of Harry, I think, because him asking Cho out was just like a very recent thing. It's almost along the same lines as Crumb asking Hermione, I think. Okay. So I'm more disappointed at that choice. I really follow that. I wonder if, not to like reiterate what I had said before, but I think that that's where the author, if the author actually made sense when they made decisions was going with that idea was that we just had the yule ball maybe cedric and Cho were in this place where they were like becoming something okay so i married my high school sweetheart and i would say that my senior year like preparing for prom or whatever or even homecoming was like that is the person in my life you know right now and that's a couple of months of just being like i'm dating this guy who's like my world and the other thing is like the professors are the ones that are probably choosing these people maybe at the yule ball they were just like they were making out all over each other and that's what they did with crumb and hermione too and madame maxime is like yeah well fleur is really tight with her little baby sister and they're like ah got it we'll kidnap a 10 year old and put her underwater So it's interesting when you say that because then I started thinking about me in this situation and it makes me identify more with Fleur because my little sister Natalie, we're tight. Yeah, you and Natalie are close. Natalie, sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who has been single for like six years and has never really had anyone to be in love with or anything, the second one would be Harry, obviously, like a good friend. So there's probably a good chance that you would be the bitch under the wall. Well, so like, um, but probably not because I would choose Natalie instead. So you'd be Same. alive. Oh, well, um, I would, I would help you rescue Natalie. You'd be like, I'm going to try to eat some gillyweed and guess what? It's just kale and then you would die. But I and would I'd be try. like, bitch, I can save you now. I would try to help you save Natalie because I like her. She's fun. She's great. So I feel like those are the ones that I latch on to more, but I also like Crumb's story more. I think Crumb's story is a little bit more realistic, for me anyways. Not saying that I'm a famous athlete or anything, because I'm far from it. If he has not had that sort of connection with somebody, I understand that. I think that's why Cedric's, to me, feels the least authentic, maybe. Not saying that it's not, you know? Maybe that's just That's the only explanation I can come up with, and I'm sorry, the whole fucking world knows that Ron Weasley is the most important person in the world to Harry. Oh, I thought you were going to say, Ron thinks the whole fucking world thinks that he's the most important person to everybody. There's also that. There's also that. So, at the end of the chapter, to wrap things up a little bit, everybody lives. Hooray! Yay! Pomfrey is there to once again be like, what the fuck? come on! Yeah. Um, Roxana, do you have anything else to say on this chapter? No, I just think it's cute that then Harry was like, aw, I'm going to give socks. For every day of the year. Oh, that's a great way to end the chapter, too, because after such a huge chapter, it ends very abruptly, and the only other thing is that he's got, really until May 24th, so he's got three months of freedom where he doesn't have to think about this. Freedom, called doing his fucking schoolwork. Hey, I would take it at this point, after having to figure out that egg, bitch. And that also means that Cedric has only four months to live. Oh. Fuck, Mary kill. We are going to be judging the three ways that people chose to breathe underwater. So, fuck, Mary kill. Bubblehead charm, gillyweed, or shark transfiguration. Roxana, you go. Yep. Fuck, probably the shark, because that seems like primal and animalistic. Mary, the gillyweed... Because that seems stable and like responsible. Like it's a plant, it's sustainable. And then 
kill probably the bubble head thing because what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) Roxana, you play this game like I do because you literally said stable for the marriage thing and that's what I always try to search for And I'm just always like, that sounds like I could live with it for the rest of my life. Tara. Okay, I'm going to marry the gillyweed for the same reasons Roxana stated. I just feel like it's a surefire thing. You got the gillyweed, you do it. I'm going to fuck the bubble head charm. Because, because she likes to put her dick in some bubble. one, Cedric did it, and he is a beautiful human. But more importantly, it feels like a thing that would work fine. But the shark transfiguration fucking terrifies me. That could go real wrong, so I gotta kill it. So Tara usually likes to fuck the thing that is most phallic. So in this case, when she's like, I want to fuck the bubble, I'm like, oh, the bubble butt? <laughs> She gravitates towards that. So I'm also going to marry the gillyweed for the same reason that both of you said. But also, like, I just really loved the explanation. It felt very scientific. It felt very real and very accurate. As accurate as a fictional thing could be. So I really love the gillyweed. So props to you, Dobby, for all of a sudden coming up with that. Like, out of the blue. Not all of a sudden, but we'll get there in those chapters. Because he's been stealing some gillyweed. Oh my god, Dobby's a drug dealer. Dobby is a drug dealer. I hope his rates are good. Dobby, hit me up. Oh, never mind. He's dead. Anyways. Get you a time timer. So who am I going to agree with in terms of the killing and the fucking? I'm going to agree with Rex. I knew you were going to. Because... There's just something weird enough about the shark transfiguration. <laughs> I see it and I agree with it. I'm just saying that can go so wrong and I just was not here for it. So That's all. in the movie, it is very much like he's half shark, half, half human. Man. Which as a Sagittarius, I identify with because I am half horse and half man. However, well, Natalie over here, she'd have married it, so. For Natalie, every week is Shark Week. So then. <laughs> Not Natalie, his sister. Natalie's Unchecked. Yeah, Natalie's Unchecked. We've been mentioning the Natalie's in this episode. There's the scene in the movie where he's coming out of the water and he's like transforming back to a human, and it's like, oh, what the fuck is that? That is how the book portrays him. There's something just bizarre about it enough where I'm like, I'm gonna fuck that. That's fine. Whereas That's fine. the Bubblehead Charm. Again, the movie, to an extent, is, like, messing with me here. But you see Fleur for a brief moment where she has this veil around her face. And I'm like, that's not the bubblehead charm. Mm -hmm. That's the bubble face charm, you stupid movie bitches. Yeah, and they did the same thing with Cedric, and I didn't like Oh, yeah, that's right, because we do see Cedric briefly. But then also, in Cursed Child, there's the moment where the bubblehead charm kind of, like, fucks Cedric over. Yeah, I'm gonna kill bubblehead because I'm not a bubblehead. It looked pretty bad in the movie. Yeah, it, did. And it was really yeah, didn't look good. Too. Yeah. Speaking of the movie, and things looking oh, look movie. bad. Like I said earlier, I expected Neville come in and save the day. Neville does not come in and save the day in the book. I know. Because in the book, it didn't work out the way that it was originally planned by Moody, I mean, Barty Kirk Jr. He has to rely on fucking Dobby to come in and take care of it. So Harry wakes up and Dobby's there and whatever. Well, that's not how the movie goes. The movie is like, Neville's like, ooh, plants, 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 plants. Let me talk about plants. And then Harry is a grouchy bitch through this whole scene. It's so annoying. This movie has made Hermione into an asshole. And I'm like, this movie also makes Harry kind of a grouchy bitch, and I'm not here for it. I mean, they're all just sort of hormonal in this movie. Like, they're all, like, unhappy. Like, everything is very dramatic. So, yeah, so we use Neville instead of Dobby, Dobby, which is interesting because as we finish this read, we will learn fake Moody slash Barty Crouch, his original plan was for Neville to be the one to tell Harry about Gillyweed. And Harry never bothers to ask Neville about Gillyweed. And so then he has to stage this fake conversation with McGonagall about Gillyweed because he knows Dobby is going to hear him and Dobby is the one that takes him to Gillyweed. That's how the book works. So it's kind of interesting that they chose to give Neville that arc in the movie because that was Bertie Crouch's original plan. Again, Neville's arc in this is him being by the water where when they're having their little like 
fight where it's like, yeah. I'm not an owl. Neville loves to dance with ladies. Neville knows <laughs> what Gillyweed is. Yeah. His parents? Fuck his parents. Yeah. Neville's got this beautiful arc through the whole goddamn series, but do we talk about it in this movie? We do not. No. Then Harry gets down there, and he gets down there on time. Doesn't doesn't run. He's wearing his fucking outfit. Yeah, his, like, strongman outfit. It's the a, leotard motherfucker. And then Moody's yep. like, put that in your mouth, which is like, whoa, yikes. <laughs> yeah, Moody, <laughs> we were talking about dicks a few chapters ago. And he's, we're like, smacking him. A few chapters ago, we're talking about dicks all the time. Well, yes, but mostly in Weighing of the Wands, where everyone was showing their, you know, beef stick. Constantly, he's, like, smacking him on the back, and then he pushes like, him in the water. Put in your mouth, but they haven't even, like, fucking rung the bell yet or whatever. So, you know, when he puts that in his mouth, he won't be able to breathe. That's very rude. When I put my thing in people's mouth, they ain't able to breathe either. Just kidding. Oh, it's been six years. God. Somebody love me, please. So, they, yeah, he, like, shoves Harry in the water after everyone beautifully dives in. Everyone else just looks so, like, graceful and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Harry just, like, falls in the water. He's like, ah! He falls in the water, but then he's like, oh, really? I got gills now. And he does a backflip out of the water. Right? And, and meanwhile, Neville's not paying attention. He's like, I killed Harry Potter. And then you see 10-year-old Dean and Seamus. Like, those oh, fuckers yeah. look like children, like babies still. Little babies. A couple things with this scene, and in terms of, like, how they staged it. Mm-hmm. In the book, obviously, Harry goes to, you know, kill himself by drowning by walking into the lake. In the movie... I love Virginia Woolf, exactly. In the movie, they constructed this, like, platform in the middle of the lake with these towers, which is very bizarre to me. Like, why even do that in the first place? Other than, like, get them closer to where the solution is or whatever. So that's kind of weird. But then once they get underwater, I personally think it looks amazing. Oh, it looks so good. The gills, the webbed feet, everything underwater. like so creepy. It's so good. They did a good job with it. Absolutely. And I had even said when we were watching it, I was really disappointed when I was reading because I was like, there's a whole village underwater. However, when you get close to where the mermaids are... There are structures underneath the water that are like arches and it almost looks like sunken ruins and stuff. I think it looks pretty cool. Not only does it look cool, I think that's more realistic. There would be algae all over these things. Like it would not just be like a fucking, you know, suburban city (laughs) underneath the water. You know, like there would be some of that decay. It makes sense for it to be more moss covered and algae covered and everything. The fact that we don't get that giant statue of um, a merperson either like is fine because I think that the way that they're kind of suspended there in the water also makes more sense. It's more scientific, I think, than the book kind of portrays. Like, Like there's the moment where Crumb comes in as a shark in the book, it talks about how, like, he was just kind of, like, gnashing at the seaweed or whatever. But in the movie, he just kind of comes in and swipes it because she's kind of bobbing. And I like that. It feels a little bit more realistic to me, maybe. I like some of those choices. Also, Tara touched on this a little bit previously about how Harry's not allowed to use his wand. In the movie, he is able to use his wand. Yeah. Which I do sort of like a little bit more i mean it's not how it's written so it is what it is but at the very least he is able to use his one and i think somebody else uses their one too cedric does doesn't he in the movie yeah instead of using a knife the knife but then also when the two victims hostages whatever hostages victims (laughs) people who are fucking in some kind of trance the sitting ducks are floating up to the surface that's when the Grindelows then come after Harry after the fact. And yeah. his gills go away and it's almost like he's kind of starting to like go down a little bit, like he's about to drown. And then he uses his wand because he can use yeah. his speech again, which is more along the lines of the book, which is not something that happened in the book, which seems more like a realistic thing for the book. Yeah. I like it though. I like the way he like shoots himself like yeah. out of the wall. That's sort of cinematic and that makes sense because it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, so... That's true. I think I'm always noticing things too that are more cinematic and are more uh, compelling for an audience to see versus some things that aren't as interesting for that. In this case, I do like some of the choices that the movie 
took. They make a little bit more sense to me, I guess. But, I mean, to Tara's point earlier, he was not able to use his wand because he couldn't say incantations right. under the gillyweed. Underwater, so. yeah. So after he is out of the water, Fleur is like, oh my god, thank you for saving Gabrielle. And then he's, she's like, well, in the book she says this too, but she's like, Ron helped, and Ron did not help whatsoever. Ron didn't do shit. He was an I asshole in the book. He was like sitting there in a trance. Yeah, yeah. Right. In the book he was like. In the book he was like, Harry, why you gotta be a hero? Rude. And then he gets kissed by the Vila bitch, and he's like, yeah, I helped. And Hermione is an asshole in the movie. She's like, oh, Fleur couldn't get past the Grindy Lows. Oh, ha, ha, ha. here, here's my blanket. I hate fuck French you, people. I hate Hermione. Wait, she says, fuck you, Victor? I mean, she, like, ignores Victor. And Victor's the one who saved her. Yeah. Like, once Harry's there, she's like, ah, fuck this guy. Harry's here. Oh, my God, I do not <laughs> No wonder Victor is like, wait, what's going on with you two? Aww, uh, yeah. Poor Victor. Justice no. for Victor. Jesus Christ. Just like he just saved her, his only friend that we established, the only person who sees him for who he is. And yeah. She's like, <laughs> but Harry's here. And he's like, oh, for fuck's oh sake. Oh my God. Caught That's... the snitch at the World Cup and no one gives a shit. And then everybody's very loud. Everybody's celebrating and stuff. And Dumbledore is over it. So he's like, shut the fuck up. He puts his wand in his neck. And then he's like, Cedric won, but here's good. So he gets good points too. Also, we were watching and <gasps> say it. Okay, so I noticed this. While that is happening, your eyes are kind of on Karkaroff in the background because he has a little tantrum when this is said. He's a creeper. Because technically, Victor was the second one out. Victor should be second place. Right. Victor, not Victor. Victor ain't got his hands on nobody because he is very lonely as we established. He is a good guy. Karkaroff hits his hand on Neville's shoulder. If you watch the movie, you'd be like, why the fuck is Karkaroff's hand on Neville's shoulder? Oh, I need to go back and watch. It is so, I've never seen it. I've seen this movie millions of times. He's like, what? And I'm like, no, that's for real what's happening in this scene. It's weird as fuck. Then when Dumbledore kind of finishes the sentence, Karkaroff's like, fuck! And Neville goes off, but originally... He has his hand on Neville's shoulder, and we're like, this makes zero sense. Yeah, maybe that's the OTP we never knew that we needed. Well, because we don't need it. But it exists, apparently, in the movie universe. It's just very strange. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how the chapter ends. Yeah, well, sort of. They do kind of walk away, and then Barty Crouch is like, oh, hey, I'm here. Percy isn't here, thank God. Yeah, Percy's not in the movie, that being said, drinking he game. Yes, but he, I know this drinking game for how much I fucking love Chris Rankin. That being said, what was this goddamn scene with Crouch? She's like, "Hey, Harry, I just wanted to chat with oh, yeah. you, have this nice little moment, and it's a nice conversation." And we're like, "What the yeah, fuck is like, this?" Yeah, it's like, "Oh, hey, I haven't talked to you a lot, but I want to talk to you because I've heard your story so many times. I'm a big fan." Please sign my nipple. It's so weird. Like fanboying. Yeah. It's just so strange. I don't don't get it. The part where we stopped the movie was right after Mad-Eye Moody's eye is kind of like adjusting onto him. And then we stopped and we're we're like, like, oh yeah. Crouch about to die. Adam, you got some points I got points. Let's do this. Okay. (laughs) I got a lot of positive points. I'm going to go put the pies in. Oh, she's going to go put the pies in. You know what that means. We're about to have some sexy time. Plus 30 to Dobby. Because if it weren't for Dobby, Mary would have been fucked. Yeah. He wouldn't be dead. He'd be sitting outside that lake and everyone would be laughing at him. So good job, Dobby, for figuring things out, I guess. Plus 25 to Harry because he has moral fiber. He can take some really good poops. Plus 15... (laughs) To Myrtle? Because Myrtle's there for some reason. And she's like, go that way. Go that way, bitch. I hope I get to see your dick later. Um, What just happened in my kitchen? Are you sure? There's a lot of noise coming from my kitchen for heating up some pies. It's because drunk Tara is trying to manipulate plates. Plus 10 to Fleur. Because... This is for displaying humanity. Display... Bingo! Couldn't have said it better myself. Plus five for all four hostages. Because they almost died. Even though they're like, Oh, we, they wouldn't let us die. Sure, Jan. You were gonna die. Oh, we didn't really mention this, but at the very end, too, Dumbledore does have 
this little thing where he's conversing with the people about like what happened underwater and he's speaking merfolk and I was like that's hilarious so I gave him five points for that <laughs> then negative five from Percy because who the fuck do you think you are no where the fuck were you bitch you're not in charge of this shut your fucking mouth and then most importantly plus 50 to myself the giant squid because all these humans be up in my house and I don't like it and that's a lot to deal with. This ruined my goddamn day. It ruined it so much that you didn't even appear. I know. Like, I could have come out and been like, what the fuck is this? Why are you humans up in my living room? And then, but nope. I was like, I'm just going to take a pill and sleep all day. Do your thing. I'll come back tomorrow. I know I'm probably going to have a mess to clean up. I don't know if that registered on the microphone. Tara said, honestly, who could blame you? And she's right. No more humans in my living room. Thank you. That's for, like, real life and for my squid life. <laughs> I do want to ask if we get some clarification on uh, how points work for you specifically as the giant squid versus you not as the, the Well, squid. I already gave points to myself as recommended to by Tara. So yeah. there are, like, ten points to Adam Bowers. And then there's also, at this point, I think I'm, like, top tier. I'm, like... I think you win. I'm, like, in the top ten. <laughs> there's a lot of points for the giant squid. When I announce them at the end of the season, I will probably announce them separately. But let's be honest. It's just like Barty Crouch and Moody. We're the same person. So I'm me and he is she, me, and we are squids. And everybody is an egg. Especially you, Cuckoo Choo. Cuckoo I'm the walrus. No, you are the potato. <laughs> What's happening next? What are we reading next week? Um, chapter 27, which I can't think oh of. Oh my god, it's up. like Sirius is back. And he's a dog and there's a dog in yeah. the picture. What is chapter 27 called, Roxana? Who knows? You have the know. book right there. Our books are in the living room. Adfoot Returns? Yeah, I yeah. told you. Sirius is back. It's about Sirius. Chapter 27, it's about Sirius. See, I knew it's a dog with the it's thing. It's a dog. It's thing in a in the mouth. <laughs> so yeah, Roxana, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, thank you delightful. for being on our podcast. So much. Wonderful. Also, major credit because Roxana purchased the book and it arrived like forty eight hours ago. <laughs> And she read this entire book up to this point, which, guys, that's a lot. It is. Are you on book two as far as listening? Is, or no, three? I'm on book three. Okay. You're not, you weren't, like, in this book yet. So thank no. you for jumping in. I feel like a lot of our guests since this year kind of snuck up on us. Because the whole world is just fucked. Yes. And when we were like, Roxana, are you going to be ready for this? You're like, wait, oh, what? Ah. Oh, no, it's good. Never mind. I lied. <laughs> I thought everything was terrible. But it isn't. <laughs> everything is terrible. But surprise. Not as far as our recording goes. That is a lesson for life. You may think everything is terrible, but it's really not that bad. <laughs> Seriously, and we have a lot of guests this season we've gotten through three of our guests we yeah. got two more we've got two maybe, maybe three, three more. more roxana we're so glad that you could join us i'm so glad i could join you and i'm sad i can't see you in person hopefully sometime soon we yes. miss you sometime we can't soon wait for till sure. we can see you in person no we can give you lots of hugs when it's safe. so many hugs are fucking happening i think the world's gonna be over <laughs> me as soon as oh, i'm allowed I'm to hug them baby. me too i'm gonna just hug everybody and they're going to be like, okay, get it out of your system now. Please stop. Thanks. Yeah. You couldn't have said it better myself. Please do not touch me. I haven't tried to hug Adam because I know better. Which sucks because he's one of the few people I physically see. Tara just held up one of her hands to the camera listeners and she's missing two of them because <laughs> I'm a Grindylo. And the giant squid. Thank you so much, Roxana. Um, anytime you want to come back, you let us know. Yes. You know, oh, you know, there's more books coming. And next time yeah. in person, too. Yes. Holy shit. We are in person by book five. Or fuck this world. I'm leaving. I hope so. Yeah. Where are you going to go? Maybe I'll do something in book five. Jupiter. And then we can be in person and eat pie and be drunk. Oh, yeah. Oh, that sounds yeah. good. Also, by the way, Jupiter is a ball of gas. Good luck going there. I don't know. Pluto, I gotta find a new planet. As a th another ball of gas, I'm sure you'll fit right in on Jupiter, though. 
I will say, though, Jupiter is the planet of, like, positive energy, so. Well, you know, I gotta belong somewhere. Maybe you should go to Saturn instead. Saturn is the planet of negative energy, and it's also a large ball of gas, but then it also has a hula hoop, so start learning, bitch. (laughs) Once upon a time, I knew all this shit, and then I didn't care because I'm in my 30s, and I work for a petroleum company. I'm also in my 30s, but I don't work for a petroleum company, which makes me cool. And Tara depressed. I have a window in my office. Why are we talking about our lives like this? It's the end of the episode. This was the one of the longest episodes ever, probably. You're These welcome. Listeners are like, what the fuck? Why are you talking about pillows? You're Three hours <laughs> later, they're just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no shit. Oh, Jesus. So Adam and I have pie to eat. We sure do. Pie. I'm going to have some water and finish my crackers. Oh, Hi. sounds like a good meal in jail <laughs> to me. Roxana, how about you take us out? Finish off this episode. Say something so, cool. Or funny. Or both. <laughs> now I feel pressured. Now you know my life. Tell a joke. Make sure it's dirty. Oh, oh I don't know. I don't know any jokes. I'm too tired dirty now. Jokes. I don't make any sense. I'm making no sense. <laughs> That's, point, that makes so. you fit right in with I us. mean, all you could have said was Tara Corkery. That's a dirty joke. Oh my god. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by me, Adam Bowers. And published by me, Tara Corkery, and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please review and rate us five stars on your app of choice, and be sure to share us to all of your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Sometimes I update that. Basic Snitches on Instagram. Also, we have a Facebook page. And email us anything you want to or specifically answers to our questions on our segments. BasicSnitches at gmail.com. But don't send us dick pics, please. That's nasty. But do send us liquor. Thanks. Yeah. Aloha, Mora. Oh, now people can get into your house. They're there, toe. But they don't matter because now you're a water goblin. Bye. Bye.